Guys, I want to tell you about Epic Realm's new sponsorship with Factor 45. Factor 45 is an amazing food prep program. You can get food sent, already made by a chef, sent to your door, and all you have to do is heat it up. It's super quick. It's super easy. It can be healthy if you want it to. It doesn't have to be, but they're all delicious, and they're all handmade, and they're ready for you. You can use our code to get 50% off your first box. You can even get some free little wellness shots or little health health shots that you just drink and that helps boost your immune system. Amazing, amazing stuff. Factor SE 46820 at checkout to get you that deal. So it's F-A-C-T-O-R-S-E 46820, 46820. Check it out and thanks for supporting the stream. For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. Our guest is a paranormal researcher, investigator, author, and poet. She has multiple awards for her work and has been seen in many paranormal TV shows. Please welcome Amelia Cotter to Epic Realms. How are you doing today? Great, how are you? I'm I'm awesome. I'm very glad you're here. You're our first guest of the year and I'm super excited. We don't do a ton of paranormal guests and, and I'm super glad to have you on. I was telling you a little bit beforehand that I was on, on a trip to Baraboo earlier this year, and the people of the city of Baraboo were uh, were were very memorable for you about you. They they brought you up every time I mentioned I did a podcast. They're like, "Oh well, have you had Amelia Cotter on? Oh well, she wrote this book about Baraboo, and you know, going going on That's and on awesome. about it." And I was like, "That is super cool. I know the name Amelia Cotter. She's been on Darkness Radio. Uh, I I've had." both tim dennis and dave schrader on here dave schrader is now doing paranormal 60 and uh you've been on that show as well so i was like i was well aware of who you were and i was like you know this is a great idea i should have amelia on and here you are so, here i am yay in the realm of the paranormal everybody always asks and i know they always ask you this we actually brought this up right before we started what's the scariest thing you've ever done what's the scariest thing that's ever happened and i'm not going to ask you that but in kind of the spirit of that, out of all the evidence you've seen and all of the things you've experienced, what's kind of the standout thing to you that makes you go, okay, there's something to this. This is real. Do you have a piece of evidence or experience that's like stands out in your mind of like, okay, this tells me that this isn't just a, a hallucination or my own mind or, you know, tricks. Sure. So I, I've had a number of different weird experiences, um, things that were uncanny and strange. Um, and, but I do have one sort of gold standard, like cardinal experience that happened to me when I was a kid, um, where I actually, I did see an apparition. And this was the one and only time that I ever saw an apparition in my life. I've seen other things throughout, but this was, I was 11 years old. Um, and I was exploring an abandoned house that was close to where my dad worked. This was back in Moncton, Maryland, near the Manor Tavern restaurant for people who might want to Google it. Um, and, uh, there was an abandoned restaurant literally across the parking lot where people who were patrons uh, sitting on the patio, having their fine dining could go look out at this cool, um, abandoned haunted house that was known locally as Walter's house. I fell in love with the house as a little tiny nerd. And, um, I was exploring the house one day with my friend and my mom, because my parents were hip to this kind of stuff. Uh, and, I wished in my heart that I would see the ghosts. We called all the ghosts. Well, they all of the ghosts on the property were collectively just referred to as Walter. Um, <laughs> and so I wished that I could see Walter, even though this person that I saw may or may not have been named Walter at all. 
Um, as we were leaving the property, we were in our car driving away. Um, the road was very close to the house. The property was only seven or eight feet from the road. And uh, I looked up into the windows of the attic. Um, those attic windows, I think, are featured on the book cover of this house, the, the true story of a girl and a ghost. But um, I looked up into the windows sort of wistfully, you know, as we're driving away. And there was a young man uh, standing or a boy or young man, teenager, standing uh, at the window um, with his hands on the windowsill, leaning out, looking at us. Um, and he was completely white. He had no face, so no defining facial features, not like a scary vacuum, but like uh, just almost like a doll, like a like a doll's face. But I could see the texture of his hair and his clothing, and he had like suspenders and his sleeves were sort of gathered at the cuff like he was wearing like late 1700s, kind of early 1800s stable boy clothing, which would check out with um the type of housing and the type of property that this was. It was the third Lord Baltimore um, uh, like sprawling property. So anyway, uh, his head turned slightly as we were driving away. And also at the same time, I got a tingling sensation in my stomach that felt like a swirling sort of static energy. Yeah. Uh, so I could feel that he was looking at me and I could feel that his expression was curiosity and surprise. I could feel that he was surprised that we could actually see him. Um, and I thought, so we were sort of driving really slowly because we were looking at the house as we were driving away. Obviously my mom was driving and uh, both Graham and I saw him and we gasped. And then my mom like hit the brakes and she was like, do you want me to back up? And I, in my 11 year old wisdom, I was like, no, if you back up and he's still there, I think the experience will turn from like awe to fear. And if you back up and he's not there, I don't ever want to tell myself that I didn't see what I just saw because it was a solid yeah. human form, just completely white. And I knew um, in my heart that that was the spirit of this house um, and that I had been lucky enough to, to see him. So I've, again, I've had a lot of interesting things happen since then. Some of them have been very profound. That was like a life altering experience that sort of set me on this journey that I am this weird journey that I'm on today. So. That's awesome. It's interesting how many people don't realize that a feeling or, or, like the a sensation of something paranormal, whether it's a, you know, communication or, you know, dream traveling or ghost interactions, how those sensations really are different from, oh, I just ate something bad or, you know, butterflies in the stomach. It's a different feeling. And unless you've had it, you can't really point that out, you know? Right. It's, that's a good point because uh, we folk, we're, we're very evidence focused now with, uh, you know, videos that are getting crazier and crazier with um, wanting to see, wanting to have some sort of visual evidence. Um, but often some of the most like profound personal experiences are the ones that just include these really intense feelings. And I'm a person that can work myself into a frenzy in an abandoned house at night because it's really spooky and oh my gosh, right? And like, that is a different type of energy and feeling than when you really get like, when you get struck with that sort of um like what you're talking about, like the, just that very special and specific sensation when of, of knowing that something is there. And it, in some cases, I would argue, or some people would argue that that's not even paranormal. That's just our natural human response to beings around us that we, we don't have to use those senses anymore. Uh, so it's like tapping into something that's deeper within us. Yeah, for sure. When you're researching and writing for a book, do you do you have a goal in mind ahead of your time researching and putting it together or do you gather the information and go okay this is how i'm going to present this um how do you go about that what is kind of your process for telling these stories so i i've been around for a long time and i've only written five books it takes me forever to to really commit and bring a book idea together. I know people that write one or two or five books a year. I don't have that like in me. I have to, I spend a long time thinking about the book and what, um, 
what do I want the message of the book to be and how do I want to bring my voice to it and how do I want to bring stories into it? So I'm not um, somebody who's so let me say, let me say it differently. So my appreciation in my research is for stories and people's personal experiences. So I always want to make sure that I'm bringing um, a lot of personal depth to my writing and my stories. If you read a book like Marilyn Ghosts, my voice is in that a lot. I'm sort of, I'm interviewing a lot of different people about their their personal paranormal experiences throughout the state of Maryland, but that's my home state. So I'm also bringing a lot of my emotion and nostalgia into it. So um, so I, I really try to take my time with it, including, you know, with the Baraboo book, which I wrote during the pandemic. So I was never able to, I've been to Baraboo plenty of times, but during the physical writing of the book, I was never able to get to Baraboo. <laughs> and I did a lot of, you know, you know, Library of Congress research from, from home, from my kitchen table and stuff like that. But um, I had wanted to be really sensitive about like, uh, sort of extra sensitive about bringing in like the Baraboo and the old Baraboo and personality into the book. It took me a long time. It took me a year to write it and then I, and then sit on it and then just kind of vibe with it um, before it was like ready to go. How do you pick which stories out of all the people you talk to? Do you just throw them all in there or do you have to go through and be like, eh, this one doesn't really fit. This one does when you're picking up other people's stories and kind of putting them into your stuff. How do I'll you throw I'll, I'll throw everything in there. I'll find a way to fit everything in, like every little detail. So like in Maryland Ghost, there's a section at the end where if somebody told me just like a snippet of a story that was really cool, but not enough to flesh something out. I just had a whole section of like snippets, like pieces of conversations that you might hear. Um, with the Baraboo story, I was writing it sort of in cooperation with the old Barabooin. So like Shelley Wells requested specific stories be put in. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of stories that come from like ghost hunters, like Sometimes I would get a story from somebody that was like, and then we got this hit on the K2. And then uh, three hours later, we got this EVP. And it's like, I think that's really cool for the people who are experiencing it. But um, it doesn't always translate well to a person who wants to just read like a really good ghost story. Because a lot of uh, ghost hunting as a, a paranormal investigation as a hobby in the last 10 years or so. And I think the paradigm is shifting, but it has lacked a lot of that sort of like emotion. It's been very like science, science, yeah. right. With quotation fingers. And so um, that doesn't always make for the best stories on the page. So I would go back to that person and be like, just tell me more about how you felt while this was happening. <laughs> you know, what were the sensations in your body or like what, what else was going on? Like build, help me build the story more and just kind of coach some more details out of them. Um, or, you know, find that really creepy element in the story. And now, on the other hand, people would be reluctant to send me stories because they weren't creepy enough. And I said, no, don't do that. If you heard footsteps, don't assume that I want to receive a story um, where something wild and crazy happened. If your whole story is that you were in this neat historic place and you heard footsteps, that's a story. So um, I'll work with, I'll really try to work with anybody and try to value and and validate anybody's experiences as well yeah because you can't you can't say no to anybody's experience because there's so many weird things out there mm -hmm. as wild as it sounds that's still their experience you can't really right. take that away from them uh, who are we no. to like say oh that didn't really happen or you're making it up or you know is it really this if that's their experience that's their experience period end of exactly subject. so i would never um right i would never like poo-poo anybody's specific experience, um, I only try to get the best from them to translate it into, into a fleshed out story so that other people can experience it with them as well. You have a little bit of uh, historical ties into some of your work as well, where you kind of tell the stories um, a little historically as well. Can you tell us about that and how you approach that? So, um, in Maryland Ghosts, it was really important for me to give some background information. Uh, I wish that, um, you know, it, more books would would follow this format sometimes where, like, give a little bit of background on the history of a place or a person or a thing, talk about the folklore, and then talk about people's personal experiences. 
too often those three things get jumbled together in one. It's really important to kind of separate those out. Um, historical context is really important. Things we know for sure happened, things we speculate could have happened or might have happened, what the rumors are, uh, what the folklore says, and then people's personal experiences. Sometimes they all interweave together and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they, you know, um, they don't seem to interweave, which is also kind of cool unto itself. Like there's a lot of um, places, there's a lot of haunted places now where people have died. People used to die in the home all the time, right? So, so oh, somebody died in this house is fairly common in history. But, um, you know, when you go there, the people who report sightings and experiences in some of these places will say, oh, there's this like, there's this crawler. It's this thing that people see that's like a shape that just crawls along the wall. And it's like, well, what does that have to do with Bobby dying of cholera, right? So right. it's kind of interesting. <laughs> there have been so many ghost hunters that have come through, or there's been so many different um, different types of energies in the home, or who knows what else may have um, happened in the house. We we linger on the big things, but who knows um, what type of everyday relationships people had and the energy they left behind. So there's a lot of different things to explore, and things don't always like um, make sense, and they don't always have to make sense, right? And um, but, but anyway, it's, it's just, it's always, uh, it's fascinating to, I'm, I'm a history buff, um, and I'm also into folklore. And so I like to make sure that all of those things are equally represented. One thing I was really proud of about the Baraboo book is that, um, this was the first time that anybody had really synthesized the history of the old Baraboo Inn because that building has a lot of snippets of history. Um, and I think it was Joseph Ward who did a tremendous amount of work in just the Baraboo and Sauk County, um, uh, gathering a lot of information about the really cool history there. Um, but it was, it was in different sort of bits and pieces. And so I was able to kind of synthesize like some sense of, of history, like a cohesive history and timeline for the old Baraboo Inn, which was really fun for me to do. I live in Chicago where most of the great research has already happened. There's all these wonderful researchers here, Ursula Bielski, Adam Seltzer, all these awesome people that are boots on the ground. And uh, so it was nice for me to have um, that type of opportunity as well. <laughs> That's awesome. Out of all of the like little stories and books and histories, is there one in your books that, that you really enjoy? Uh, and if so, would you share it with us? I'm going to be weird. Okay. And That's all right. Welcome to Epic Who came to the right place today. Um, I'm really proud because there's sort of like the Easter egg that is in my children's book, Breakfast with Bigfoot, is that it's actually based on a real historic Bigfoot encounter. Okay. So I don't remember all of the details at this moment. I have told the story many times, but the story is based on the Albert Osman encounter of 1924 in British Columbia, I believe, where he went into the wilderness um, and claimed, and this was years later, so he didn't come out of the woods and be like, everybody, this insane thing just happened to me just now. You're never going to believe it. Right. He waited almost until like he was on his deathbed. Like he waited decades to tell this story because he knew it was so unbelievable. And he wasn't, this was way many years before Bigfoot became and Sasquatch became popular in the sixties and seventies, like in the popular imagination and everything. And so he really didn't know what to do with this experience, but he had been uh, lost in the woods and was abducted by what he claimed was a family of big feet. So he uh, found himself, you know, in this nest, this sort of like nest surrounded by what looked like a mom, like a mom and pop and baby and like grandpa, grandma, Bigfoot. And uh, he was able to sort of detail this really, um, really well. Like he remembered very vividly this experience and he understood that they weren't trying to hurt him, but he still knew that he needed to like get the hell out of there. Um and so he kind of like they fed him and they like looked after him and he wasn't sure exactly what their plans were for him, but uh, he took the opportunity to escape when he had it. So I've always loved that story. And there's another great um, podcast episode of Astonishing Legends where they really cover that story in depth. Um, but so I based my heartwarming children's book for ages three through six 
on just on this story very generally um, and then turned it into like a little girl who meets Bigfoot in the woods. She's lost and then they become friends and he rescues her and she finds her dad and it's teaches kids how to be responsible if you lose your parent while you're out hiking. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I sort of get a little kick out of that. Just, it, it's fun to tell people about that. Like Breakfast with Bigfoot is not my most popular book. It was the one that was probably had the highest budget with the publisher that it was, um, published with. And, um, it took the longest to, to get, to get like onto the bookshelves, which was so funny. Um, it's very like people at the paranormal conventions and people who are into the children's books aren't really sure how they feel about it, but I do, you know, so I enjoy telling people that story. I'm like, get it for yourself. If you're a Bigfoot fan, you know, check this book out. But, um, but yeah, it's like my little, my little secret that I have with myself and my books. Well, and it's, it's, that book is fun. And the, the, the art is just super cute. <laughs> the door I see it, I was like, oh, I want a big yeah. Bigfoot friend. The original illustrator of that book was a really great artist and she's, she's groovy, but like she really wanted to do these avant-garde like collage, like photo collage illustrations of, of, and in hindsight, I think it actually could have gone really well. My publisher and I were both really shocked. Like I was a little scandalized because it was like pictures of like a little girl sitting on this bed nest next to this man, but who had like a Bigfoot head. And I was like, I think this we're sending the wrong message to the kids, right? This right. is weird. Yeah. They were cool, but I was like, this is so, so surreal. And so they ended up um, paying this illustrator off to cut to kind of like cut her off and i think she probably got paid more to be cut off from the project than i've ever been paid for any writing project i've ever done <laughs> and um then they brought in this guy charles swinford um who's great illustrator comic artist and everything and you know what's your vision like cute fuzzy guy that looks like the uh, marvin the martian right like or not marvin the martian the who's the big fuzzy guy from looney tunes you yeah know yeah yeah i um it's like, wasn't it like the abominable snowman and I can love him and hug him and call him George? Well, there was that too. So I was digging it because it, it touched on those things that I remember from my childhood. And I was like, yes, this is the happy, fluffy Bigfoot that, that we wanted. That's not going to give the, the kids nightmares. I don't mind having nightmares, but I don't want to give the kids nightmares. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about your, your poetry. Because that has been such a big part of you and who you are. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that got started, your book, and your continued love for poetry. Yeah, thank you for asking. So I've just always been somebody who couldn't couldn't pin myself down into any... Um, you know, I, I, my dream when I was a kid was to be a writer. I wanted to be all kinds of writers. I wanted to be Edgar Allan Poe. I wanted to be Sylvia Plath. I wanted to be Toni Morrison. I wanted to be all these people. And so I wanted to do stuff that was fun and meaningful. And I sort of accidentally got involved in the paranormal, but 100% wanted to write ghost stories. Um, but I do love poetry and it's just been a very important part of my body of work as a writer. I understand that like, for some people, it's kind of like, wow, that doesn't really make sense. That's not really on brand. But for me, I'm like, I just want to, you know, uh, I'm only going to be here for a short time, right? I want to do everything. Um, and uh, poetry also helped me sort of cash in my serious writer card, which meant more to me a few years ago than it does now that I'm well established in everything. Yeah. But in the beginning, I was nerve. I was very aware. I, I, I had like a hyper awareness 10, 10 or so years ago that, um, you know, people would call me a ghost hunter and I was a little embarrassed by that uh, for for better and worse. It's it's a silly thing now, but at the time I it got to me. Um, and so anyway, uh, my journey with, with poetry is that uh, I have, I wrote a book called Apparitions, which took me five years to publish. The book is 40 pages. <laughs> of haiku so again speaking to the idea of like i really like to take my time with things and think them through um and but it, it sort of encapsulates the last five years of of some struggles that i had gone through it has a vaguely paranormal theme to it but it's really about uh trauma survival and 
um, one cool thing about that is that some people pick it up and they're like, oh, what's this book about? I'm like, it's a book of poetry. And they're like, oh, um, what's this other one about? You know, but then some <laughs> people pick it up and they're like, oh, poetry, what kind of poetry? And I'm like, well, it's kind of serious. It's about trauma and survival, you know, et cetera. And they're like, oh, and then they really, they're like, oh, I'm, re- you know, this, this is really close to my heart. And, you know, um, so I've, I've, it's been a really wonderful way for me to also connect with people. And, uh, you know, I, I have a few other, um, I'm working on like another poetry book now as well. Sort of, I have some feelers out about that. I'm just kind of keeping all of my, my options open. And I, I just kind of pivot like one year, you know, I have a theme kind of like a running theme for, for a few months or a year where I like to focus on one thing and then pivot and then come back to it and pick something back up. And I'm, I am a finisher. Like I, I do finish projects and I always follow through. Um, and I generally don't start something that I can't finish. Um, but I do enjoy kind of digging into a mood and going with it and then coming coming back and so doing this year is going to be probably some more ghosty kind of stuff um getting back into the poetry last year was all um last year started with poetry and then went full on into into the paranormal uh you know through the end of the year so there's something that makes sense in my brain that makes sense but sorry (laughs) no no that's fine there's something relieving and, and like about writing shorter things like poetry short stories you know uh uh, and and things like that that you can really get get stuff that's on your back off your back uh you can express yourself it's very much like uh like like drawing art or you know painting or any of that kind of stuff it's still an art where you're expressing yourself and you can it's like therapy for a lot of people do you find that that true about your your writings Absolutely. So that's a really good point. So the the paranormal stuff satisfies the side of me that wants to um, keep going in my career and moving forward and doing more research and geeking out on stuff and telling ghost stories. It's one part of me that I love. The poetry really satisfies that part of me that wants to be creative, that wants to share my feelings, that wants to connect with people on that level. And um and so, yeah, and like short form, like po- like short form poetry and short stories are like a special kind of like art form that I enjoy exploring. And I do find them very, very meditative. Um, and it's fun to sort of be part of these different communities as well and just sort of get get different perspectives on life and writing from these various communities. You'd mentioned that we have you know, a little variance. You, you go to the, your, your poetry, you go to the paranormal, you have your children's book. Have you thought about branching out into other variations of the paranormal? I, I know you've talked about other topics on other shows, such as cryptids and, and, you know, stuff like that. Have you thought about doing books on cryptids or, you know, UFOs or shadow people mm-hmm. or any of the other many various paranormal topics that are out there? I talk about that stuff a lot. So uh, they come up a lot in my presentations. I have a whole monsters presentation that I do. Last year was a great year in the news for cryptids and UFOs. My God, it was raining from the sky. It was amazing. Um, I had so much to talk about. Uh, And I have thought about that, if that would be something cool to write a book about. Again, a lot of the topics that I would like to write about have already been written about. People stole my ideas, right? (laughs) No. But so... I am in the process of wanting to think of like my next idea for like a paranormal book type of venture and cryptids are actually on my mind. So I was thinking about, um, nobody hold me to this, but I'm really fascinated by stories about, um, like we talk a lot about, uh, in, in the world of cryptids about like how Sasquatch and Bigfoot are seen throughout the United States, but in sort of different variations, like, yeah. Sasquatch of the West is tall and muscular and man-like and huge and spooky. And then when you, by the time you get to the East coast and down in the, in Florida with like the skunk ape and then our little adorable little Bigfoot that we had in in Maryland that had like three toes, um, which is a whole other story for another day, but three (laughs) toes, but um, you know, they become much more ape-like and smaller and more like chimp-like or orangutan-like, um, and I've found that the same 
sort of concept is true about like sightings of large winged creatures. So on the East Coast, we've got like um, the Jersey Devil and the Snallygaster and all this cool stuff. And then when you move towards the Midwest, we got the Piasaw bird in, in Southern Illinois, which looks very similar, is described in a similar manner at times to uh, the Jersey Devil, but also sort of sounds like the Thunderbird as you go further yeah. west. And so... I'm sort of interested. I'm sure there's also there's probably already a book about that as well. But that's kind of something that I'm thinking about. You know, I'm cooking up. Um, but I always want to fold in because so much great research has already been done. My special sauce, like the, the gift that I bring to the world, is is the storytelling aspect and sort of sharing people's personal experiences. So maybe it would be cool to do a collection of cryptid encounters or something like that. Yeah, you could do a whole bunch of them. You could do uh, all variations of the ones you mentioned, and and you know the other things. You just like this is a this is a Mothman and its variations book. This is a Bigfoot and its variations book. This is the, you know, whatever dinosaurs. You know, people see dinosaurs all the time, whether it's the pterodactyls down south or the Loch Ness or whatever. You know, right. you do a whole variation of that. <laughs> those encounters. I have to. So yeah. It's oh, it's so it's like it's fun and it's scary at the same time for me when I set out onto like a new project. I work full time as well as just all the other things that I'm involved in in life. So one of the reasons I'm so selective about projects is like I will become obsessed with this and it will be all I will think about. Um, and so I'm going to add that list to my little jar of ideas and then see what I can kind of cook up. And then in five years, my book of cryptid encounters will come out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be in line for it. I'll be in line for it. Right. Excellent. Then you have to go on a tour and sign all of them and, and all of yes. that kind of stuff. That would be awesome. Actually, that sounds amazing. So I get a guest I'm spot on, uh, on Expedition Bigfoot. Or <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Me in the woods with the. Uh, making little like yipping sounds that that's my next big adventure have you done uh, outside of you know obviously like ghost hunting and that kind of investigation have you done like any bigfoot hunting or cryptid hunting or ufo you know hunting type stuff i have not i have heard sounds coming out of the woods around baraboo before that were very similar to the type of sounds that you hear when people claim they capture like recordings of a Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. To me, it's like the closest thing that I had to a Bigfoot encounter. Um, and of course, I already know what everybody's thinking. Like, Amelia, animals make all sorts of strange sounds like <laughs> raccoons and foxes and even birds will make these crazy screaming noises and everything else. And I'm fairly well familiar with with all of that um this sound that i heard coming from the edge of the woods where i was looking towards the edge of the woods and i didn't see anything um was really like got me in the it had that that sort of chest that chest feel where where you can tell that you're in the presence of something that is um amazing and it definitely it sounded like those bigfoot recordings so it very well could have been a bobcat that was really pissed off at me. That would still be cool. In all honesty, I would take it because I've never seen, you know, a bobcat before. But anyway, I told that story to some people and they were like, oh, yeah, there's been a lot of sightings in the woods around Baraboo and Devil's Lake of these like, you know, Sasquatch like creatures. So I'm like, all right, I'm checking it off the list then. So <laughs> it's interesting how often all of the things in the paranormal kind of crossover, isn't it? It is. And so funny how people did not used to talk about it at all. Like Bigfoot people used to be a whole different, like ghost people, alien people, and they were all too weird for each other. Like I'm a serious ghost hunter. I base things on science, which is rarely what ghost hunting is based on. Um, and now there's so much this really cool rich conversations around how like all of these things are really very much connected and like um so, so many of these weird things happen in conjunction with each other and there's so much more there's so many more questions than answers yeah if i had a list or a, a dollar for every single time somebody was like yeah i was at this place and we were a ufo sighting and there's these sounds in the woods and it was you know just down the road from a haunted house all yeah. and it's like the heck, or like places like Skinwalker Ranch where they get all of it, yes, all of it, right? All of it, every right, absolutely everything. 
I just, yeah, to me, that's cool. It's exciting because um, it's not like I'll ever get bored with ghosts, but I have in recent times gotten more into um, like UFO and abduction stories and storytelling and sort of like um, understanding more about that than what is even available. Like what's available in mainstream paranormal culture is not even what is just scratching the surface of what's available if you really dig deeper into the subject and it opens up just this whole rich world and like my mind is so much more open now than it used to be yeah that's crazy going back to some of the 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 ghosts and paranormal stuff do you feel and we we touched on it just a little slightly earlier do you feel that there are different types of entities out there or do you think that they're all just like kind of one thing? Because everybody has a different mindset. Everybody, you know, there is no official ruling of like, this is a poltergeist and this is this. And, you know, this Great. is a residual. Uh, do you think that they are all kind of sh should be in separate categories and should try and be categorized? Or is it all just like, it's a spirit. It's a it's a thing. Right. I feel like, I mean, categories help, right? Because they help us like organize our organized thoughts and information into buckets, right? Like certain types of phenomena follow this sort of set of rules that we call like poltergeist activity. I think we run into trouble with labels and names when it becomes like too intertwined with like religious concepts because mm -hmm. there's such a like, there's such an Anglo-Saxon like Christian bent on, on, on the world of, um, on our understanding of the paranormal, you know, here in the U.S. right now in this moment with the way that uh, ghost shows are angled towards demons and demonic possession and all of this stuff. It's like becoming, you know, even the, the Catholic Church is like backing away. Right. Um, and so so some of that, I, some of the terminology can really get people, I think, people who are prone to getting mixed up can get really mixed up in some of that. And it can become very um very scary very quickly uh but it, i also um do think that you know there is there's a variety of of types of types of beings and activity that are out there uh just as there is a variety of beings and activity here on the on our planet that we do know about in this dimension or, or realm and um so we shouldn't we shouldn't like pigeonhole everything. I think it's like, let's categorize it this way, but understand that this is beyond our understanding. Like right. we will never, we really won't know until we get there. And that's kind of the fun part for me. I like it that, that we don't know or can't know and things get weirder and weirder. And there's aliens at the Miami airport one day. And, you know, it's like, I don't know. I mean, I'm there for it, <laughs> but um but yeah, I think it's beyond the scope of what we can understand, which is why so many of us, and myself included, have dedicated all this time to to exploring it. But I've definitely also found it's true that this is somewhat somewhat related, but I've found it's true that when I spend so, too much time thinking about it or focusing on it, or if I spend too much time um, ghost hunting, like when I filmed shows before and I was constantly in haunted places or when I was doing the Chicago hauntings ghost tours and I was constantly talking about it and going to these places several nights a week that um, I felt like a sort of like a residue on me. It affected my mental health. It affected yeah. me emotionally and sort of bogged me down in a way that it is as another reason why I sort of strategically come back to it and then step away. But uh but no matter what it is, it, it does have that kind of effect on you of like the abyss, like looking back at you kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, 100%. I've seen that happen to almost everybody at some point. Some people get deep down in it and then some people learn how to um, manage and mitigate that. Yeah, I was going to ask you, based on that, do you have anything you do to prep going in? Do you... Um, you know, some people will say prayers or mantras or, you know, some psychics will have certain processes they go through before going in. Do you, certain jewelry, do you do anything specific before going in to kind of prep yourself or to protect yourself? Yeah, I definitely want to be um, cautious, you know, better safe than sorry, right? So I have my little mantras, just I'll say like a little you know, a little prayers, a little sort of like 
just kind of getting into a mindset too. And I think that's fair to personal protection is really important, but also like just the act of paranormal investigation is such a weird thing when you're going into somebody's house or an old prison or a hospital or something. And it's just like, it's best to like put yourself into a mind frame of like um, respect and boundaries. Right. Right. Um, And so I do that. Sometimes I'll take like a piece of lucky, you know, whatever, like my lucky little, like if, you know, I'll still take like a stuffed animal to fly when I fly on an airplane, just like some sort of like lucky thing that makes me happy, brings me joy and, and safety. And then at the end of the night, and usually, so if I do anything where I'm like talking, talking to dead people kind of stuff, I'll always be like, you're welcome to come and talk with me or sit with me, but you cannot come home with me. Do not follow me home. I do not want to wake up at the hotel and at 3 a.m. and you're there over the bed. Um, I'll be vocal about that in the moment and then at the end before I leave. And usually just that sort of power of belief is enough to kind of cool off any anything, any kind of energy. I hear that so much that the power of intention, putting your mind towards whatever it is and it doesn't matter if it's if you're religious and then it's you're saying prayers you're still putting that intent forward if you're wearing something that's you know i've i've got i've got my own like little protective jewelry things that i'm uh that i've got that i'm showing you but the people on the show can't hear can't see they wear (laughs) these you know items you know whether it's a, a a a a star of david or a cross or jewelry or whatever that you do that's putting out the intent of you know, protection. So it feels like a lot of it is, is us saying, just saying no, you know, who's just say, just saying no. I want to be open enough to welcome activity, but unwell, but not so open that, uh, that, yeah, that I'm susceptible, but, um, you know, this is, this is painting with broad strokes, but generally speaking, you know, you always, you'll find, you'll find the experience that you're looking for, right? You'll find the people. If you believe that that people are, um, you know, a certain way, if you believe that all um, men are jerks or all, all women are shallow or something, you'll find your way to those types of relationships in your life. And I think the same is true for different kinds of experiences. The people that I've seen really um, freak out and or be um, followed home or have... Uh, issues in in investigations are the ones that um, don't necessarily set those boundaries, but are also they're looking for um, they're looking for like a wild and crazy experience. Like the the quote, I think the saying is that, uh, you know, the first step to possession is obsession. So people that like love people that are very that are attention seeking that seek love, maybe in toxic places um, seek attention in toxic places, want to be the center of attention for various reasons, which I do not judge. I, you know, um, can be more susceptible in those situations, especially when it comes to like paranormal things, to having like an attachment or having like an emotional experience that ends in tears or something along those lines. Um, very generally speaking. Yeah, I agree. You've been a part of a ton of shows you know you've been you've been you've been on your fair share we'll say (laughs) thank you could you explain uh to our audience how and why certain stuff gets edited the way it does or gets put in or taken out or maybe changed a little bit uh because a lot of times you see you see a show and you're like well why didn't they show that or you'll hear somebody like well this other thing happened but they didn't show it on the show it was really cool but they didn't put it in the show, but they even though it was the coolest it. thing. Could you explain uh, some of the processes behind that? Yeah. So I sort of had some of the same thoughts. Like I, so when I did the RIP files, um, I was really fascinated to learn that some of those things, like some of those audio things, have to do with like na- like national and international like laws about like like sound and audio in television so like why is this music like really loud and obnoxious has to do with like the literal volume that they have to like play certain things at so i'm not obviously i'm not an expert on this but i was very like it's like because my question so we were we didn't have access to the episodes until they were finished so we are the talent right we go there and we go home we're not i we're not producers so we don't have our hands in the project otherwise so we just got to 
that like if something really cool happened to me, I would just have to kind of keep my fingers crossed that it would make it into the episode. And sometimes um, those moments, sometimes moments uh, were sacrificed for the flow of the show or they needed to, you know, the person who's sitting behind it, the editing desk is the one who's like no no when this seems cooler we're gonna go with this this has a narrative like all of those shows still build a narrative which is part of probably the probably part of the problem right is that like um, we want to tie all these ghost stories up neatly with a bow everything has this lovely conclusion um, everything that happens leads us to a point where we understand or we have closure and often in real life that doesn't happen yeah. with paranormal experiences and hauntings um so you know things will be done to fit the narrative that they want and so not a narrative in a weird conspiratorial way like they're lying to the audience or anything yeah. just yeah. like oh we want to make sure that um that we show this part of the investigation where um so and so is in the basement because um, it fits in with how we talked about the history of the basement earlier ne more neatly than this weird thing that happened in this random closet or whatever. Um, another thing was that uh, the audio that we would capture with our EVPs would, would sometimes we would capture the most amazing EVPs. And by the time it got, by the time they got filtered through to the very end to the final cut, um, it would sound like just a bunch of garbled like nonsense, like, you watch ghost adventures and like sometimes you can hear sometimes it's nice and crisp you're like oh yeah i can hear that and other times it's like and then it's like but then they give you a whole sentence and you're like wait play that again um it's probably the person who was hearing it in their headphones heard it great but by the time the reel got to somebody's office in you know somewhere in hollywood it um you know that it was lost in translation so yeah. some of those things too um, my experience was that, um, people were always on the up and up and the talent and producer. So we had like a, a shoestring budget. So we had to film everything in one night. A lot of the ghost shows will, uh, everybody will put on the same shirt and they'll film like three nights in a row so that they can try to get cooler evidence. Yeah. Um, we had to film everything overnight in one night and just fingers crossed that, um, enough cool stuff happened to fill like 42 minutes. Yeah. Um, but generally everything was on the up and up one time maybe i was watching the show and i heard a sound in the background that was attributed to the paranormal where i thought you know looking back i think that that was actually i think the cameraman like accidentally backed into something you know and knocked something over um so that definitely can happen and does happen but it's like not and not like anything nefarious of like, let's trick the audience into believing this place is more haunted than it is. I know a couple shows have gotten into trouble for that, but a lot of that stuff really does happen on the back end because the people who are uh, front facing the investigators, the ones who are like the talent on the show and the ones who are out there, you know, hustling, signing autographs and stuff. If you're not Zach Bagans, you're not making a lot of money, right? So um you're 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 out there hustling. You have no reason to um to kind of lie or lead your audience on or anything. So um hopefully that helps a little bit. Yeah. You've been on the RIP files, hometown horrors, uh scary stories, Tinker's Shadow. Yeah. doing all of these how did you get into all of these shows like did they just call you up one day and say hey we want we need somebody did you just know people and they're like hey we're putting something together do you want to be a part of it i've been really blessed like so yeah so i the producer of the rip files was somebody that i was i used to have a talent agent like 2013 and we were in the same like facebook group together with this talent agency and um, so that's how I met her. And then I was able to send in my audition for the show. Um, uh, Ursula Bielski hooked me up with the Scary Stories documentary. The Scary Stories documentary was filmed here in the Chicagoland area and at uh, that awesome cathedral in Gary, Indiana, which is right around the corner from the crazy, the demon house that has now been torn down. So in the process of filming that, I was able to go visit the demon house Oh boy, which is great. You know, it's just a weird thing to be like, it was so cool. Um, but uh, so, you know, uh, so much of this too is just based on connections with people that you know. Everything that I am is, you know, sure, I have, 
you know, talent, I'm a good writer and everything, but like a lot of who I am is built on just like forming good professional relationships with people and keeping those, you know, relationships healthy and intact. Um, opportunities that come through, like when I was working with the folks from Baraboo, this was before, this was before the old Baraboo Inn book. Um, I had, I was invited to speak at the old Baraboo Inn just um, out of the clear blue sky and ended up getting along really well with Shelly Wells, um, uh, who was the sister of the late owner, uh, BC Farr, and just really connecting with them. And then when the Travel Channel came, came a knocking to do an episode on Baraboo and Shelly was like, make sure that you talk to Amelia because she um, has had some really cool experiences here and she's an author and historian. And so there I was. Um, and then Michael Clean, who was my former publisher at Black Oak Media, um, all of those books got absorbed by Haunted Road Media, who's the publisher of that is Mike Ricksecker, who's getting really big right now in the world of like ancient aliens and stuff. Um, go, Mike. But um, but anyway, so and then Michael Clean, uh, he filmed the documentary about Tinker Swiss and then invited me um, to host it, which was so, so fun. Awesome. And I'll be at Tinker Swiss Cottage on April 26th. <laughs> You've also done some consulting on other shows, right? Yeah. So that's another thing, too, where just by virtue of existing as myself, anybody out there who's, uh, you know, um, writing paranormal books has probably gotten that cold email uh, at some point or other about people that are like, um, hello, I'm, I'm so-and-so looking for people's paranormal experiences. Can you connect me and blah, blah. And I ended up getting, having a really good relationship with, um, a producer, um, Heather Finley, who had worked on a lot of like paranormal witness and all these cool shows and, um, just forming relationships with her and other people so that I was doing some, some consulting, um, and background work, um, with a few different things. So paranormal 911 and fright club and, haunted hospitals um and and that was neat you know interviewing people and helping with research and setting up locations and stuff like that that's really awesome that is super cool Thank are you, you planning on doing more of that kind of stuff or is it like if it shows up maybe we'll see oh man i would love to i'm always dying to be back on tv i'm shameless i have nothing to hide i love being on tv i don't want to be a star of a show as a paranormal investigator unless people are looking for specifically someone like me um but i don't i'm not really super comfortable the rmp files was awesome but that wasn't really my jam like the paranormal investigation part i really like to be that talking head like let's bring in amelia cotter you know to talk about the history or tell a story or introduce something i i love stuff like that i'm always eager for those opportunities um and um you know so we'll see what happens i love tv stuff last year i was i tell everybody this like uh, until I die, but I was an extra on the bear. Um, so I've been working with like a casting company just to do background work, just for my own personal, like joy and enrichment, not like it's going to, I'm going to be the next big thing, right. Discovered in the back, this 40 year old woman who was discovered in the background of season two of the bear. Uh, but I just really did it for fun. And I ended up, I had a great time and I ended up making it into like two episodes and there's little clips of me and I'm like, there I am on TV. So I am very much like, um, you know, I'm an attention hound for that kind of stuff. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> well, that's fun too. Cause you have something you can show people and get excited about it. And I completely Life understand. Right. Life is short. Everybody should do something that um, gets them excited and that they like to talk about. You know, if somebody, I love geeking out on stuff and I love it when people want to geek out with me on stuff. It doesn't have to be, even be something that I like or know anything about. I think I just love to see people enjoying their life. Nice. All right. We didn't ask your scariest moment at all, but what is, do you, do you have a moment that was like, you feel might've been a little more heartwarming or, or more positive uh, that kind of stands out to you a, a story about something that's like, Oh wow. That was, that's, that's pretty neat. Whether so it's I yours or somebody else's story. That's cool. Because again, like, yeah, before we came on, 
I was joking about how people always ask me what the scariest thing is that ever happened to me. And you were like, I'll just, I'll cross that one off the list. But no, no, no it I, wasn't on the list. It was specifically me saying, I'm not going to ask this. Like you're not, okay, good. Like, <laughs> no. yeah, like I'm not going to ask that, which is, yeah. And every time people ask me that, I draw a huge blank. Like, I'm like, oh, I don't even remember what the scariest thing was. And then I'll remember something really cool at like 2 a.m. And I'm like, I should have told that story instead of the same, you know whatever. I've had a lot of interesting things happen. I have had some heartwarming things happen and I'm glad that you asked and I'm blanking on that now too, but just let me go through the Rolodex in my head real quick. Um, can hear it clicking, click, 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 click. Right. Like a, like when SpongeBob is in his brain with the filing cabinets, um, (laughs) there was, uh, an incident at, uh, the I think it was the Apollo Theater in West Virginia. What's the town? Shepherdstown, West Virginia. Uh, it, upstairs, where there was supposed to be the ghost of a man who had who had I think he had died by suicide, and he had been a drug addict, um, and he had had many issues, legal issues and otherwise. And his spirit was supposed to have haunted this upper floor, second or third floor up there in, in this. Um, in this theater building. You know what? Let me look up real quick because I don't know if it was the theater or if it was a different thing. Um, but as I'm ta- so I'll I'll keep talking. But um the story, you know, was that it was very violent and um the Shenandoah Hotel. So excuse me, we had done an episode at the Apollo Theater, which was also really cool, but this was at the Shenandoah Hotel. Okay. Um, it's still in still in Shepherdstown, West Virginia. So the story was that he had, you know, his ghost was very violent and scary. Um, and, you know, two of us, actually all three of us ladies who were upstairs had direct family members, connections, past life histories with people who have struggled with addiction uh, and suicide. So we did not approach this with the idea that this was going to be some spooky ghost that was going to come out and get us because we're such we're vulnerable women. We really went into it like um, thinking about this guy and empathizing with him and wanting him to come out and talk to us. And I remember um, all three of us cried. So we had this feeling. It was just like this sensation filled the room. It was like gas. It was like somebody turned on a fog machine. Right. It wasn't we didn't see anything, but it was just like the room filled with this very intense feeling um, that led us all to tears. And I remember feeling that there was somebody like standing behind me, very close to me. It wasn't a comfortable feeling. It wasn't like a good feeling. It was still an icky feeling, but that it was like I was being approached by this man and that he was uh, breathing on me. And I was just, I didn't, it didn't feel great about it as I wouldn't if that happened to me in real life, but I was still able to like empathize with him and like, we're just here to listen to you and hear your story. Um, and it was very emotional. We cried. Um, all three of us cried and talked about a little bit about this was one of the things that got cut because I think it was just too real. We all talked about our experiences with our family members and stuff. And it was a shame that that part got cut because also, um, the audio technician, um, who was this really cool lady that was kind of standing in the corner. She had this thing that looked like a, like a popcorn, like a, the guy at the ballpark that like gives you popcorn and hot dogs, except mm-hmm. it was filled with like little microphones and stuff yeah. um, and all of the equipment. And she was like standing there with that, like with her headphones on. And she like looked at me and she said that um, when I had remarked that I could feel breathing on me, that my mic that was attached like somewhere on my shirt right there picked up like heavy male breathing. Um, and so everything else that happened in that room was just this feeling we all had, right? This emotional overwhelm. And you could think, oh, well, we were all, all of us were overwhelmed emotionally. So of course it makes sense that we all sort of riffed off of that. And that was like our one piece of something that it was like, no, this wasn't our imaginations. It wasn't my imagination. I actually felt this sensation and we were able to somehow connect with him. That's really cool. I love hearing those kinds of stories and I love that it's, it's not always always negative. That's one of the things I loved about uh, the things that Dave Schrader had done with like the Holzer files. Is it's 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 more realistic. It's not like you ghost, you blah blah blah, and you know inciting or whatever. Finding the story, finding the humanity 
in these right. people that lived and 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 seeing empathizing with them and understanding them and getting to know them personally uh it's very special and that that means a lot to me as a as a person as a viewer uh as a fan of all things paranormal uh i just love hearing stories like that so thank you so much for sharing that with us yeah of course definitely you have some upcoming projects you can talk about at all any, any upcoming projects things you're working on that you, that you can talk about yeah right i have some cool um like articles and things that are going to be coming out this spring in various publications. I can't really like mention specifically what they are, okay. but if you, um, if you follow me on social, which I encourage everybody out there to do, I love to connect with people. Um, you know, uh, those will be coming out in the next few months. I'll be making those announcements. Um, just some neat research projects I've worked on over the last year. Um, I have some book ideas that are cooking. I have a poetry book that's like out being shopped around that I'm very like, I'm very like, that's really cool on the back burner kind of thing. Like I'm not really hot with that right now. Um, but that could always turn into something on a dime. Right. Um, and then uh, I just have some appearances. I'm already, so I'm trying to do less this year than I did last year because last year was my year of yes, where I said yes to literally everything. So the only year in my life that I will ever do that because it was exhausting, but it was awesome. It was epic. Uh, but so this year I'm trying to be more discerning and just do like, I mean, I already suck and have said yes to everything, but <laughs> I'm telling myself I'm not going to keep saying yes to everything, but I have some really neat stuff coming up. So um, a couple more like podcasts and then some in-person appearances, and then those will continue to build out throughout the year, like uh, obviously culminating in Halloween madness. So I'm looking forward to that as well. And then people can check me out. Uh, my website is ameliacotter.com uh, to stay up to date with all of my publications and appearances and everything. But um, do you want me to just... Yeah, let, let's know what you're, what you're doing. You got the... And explain okay. to me what the, what the boutique showcase is as well. Because I'm sure. really curious about that. Absolutely. So Amelia's Dragon Goddess Boutique is my super teeny tiny side hustle that I have with my husband. Uh, it's just a part of uh, my my husband makes homemade incense and solid perfume. And we have um, some postcards that are his photography, his fine art photography, as well as um, these little meditation kits that include dragons, like little dragon figurines and candles and oils that we have made homemade. This is something that he wanted to do as a hobby. And we just kind of turned it into like a, a micro business truly that we, um, <clears throat> in addition to my books, we take these things to my events and we sell them there. Um, but we also sell, we do sell online as well. And we've had them placed in some stores. So I'll be doing a little YouTube, um, or actually it'll be on YouTube, but it'll be like a Facebook live probably, um, or YouTube live of just like our, our three year. Thank you. Um, just us doing a little showcase of what we've, what we have. We only have like four or five products at a time because it's, you know, we're not, we're not a, a storefront. It's just right. us in our, in our little apartment. <laughs> um, and so just like, we'll have a coupon. We'll thank everybody. Um, and, you know, I encourage people to take a look at that. I have a store that you can access from my website. Um, and it's called, so Amelia's Dragon Goddess Boutique was the fun name that we came up with for that. Um, on March, that'll be on February 21st. On March 12th, I'll be on Spaced Out Radio at 11 p.m. Central Time. God help me, I will need a lot of caffeine for that. Um, but I'm really, I'm excited about that. And then I'll be on the Folklore Podcast as well at some point. So that is a pre uh, pre-taped interview that I did some time ago that I'm excited to come out. Um, and then I'll be at the Tinker Swiss Cottage on April 26th. Um, you will need uh, to, I think, order a ticket for that. And I'll be doing a talk about the, the RIP files and the real and paranormal reality television. So they just had Jack Osborne there for one of his programs. He's got like a bazillion programs out yeah. now. Um, and so they're sort of going to ride on the heels of that, having me um, come do a little talk about like paranormal reality television. And some of that will be just like seeing clips of the RIP files and talking about cool stuff that happened. And then also having like a philosophical conversation about like the value 
of paranormal reality TV, kind of like some of the things that we've talked about. Um, and then this is like very early, but I'll be at the Chicago Paranormal Convention in Countryside, Illinois on June 8th. Uh, and then while we were talking, somebody from the podcast Sasquatchers reach out to ask for an interview as well. And of course, I'm going to say yes to that. So I'll be looking forward to being on that podcast soon also. That's awesome. That's great. I, I love that. And I love supporting all these other podcasts. So guys, go check out all of these podcasts that were just mentioned. Go and check them out. Uh, I know not every podcast does that, but I do because I, it, I believe very firmly rising tides raise all ships. And so go check out all those amazing podcasts and shows as well. They can find you at ameliacotter.com. You're on Facebook, backslash author Amelia Cotter. Instagram, at Amelia Cotter. And YouTube, at Amelia Cotter. Actually, just one correction. Okay. Thank you. Amelia M. Cotter. So this the M between Amelia and Cotter has haunted me my entire career because somebody got to Amelia, some other person who has the right to be named Amelia Cotter got to all these handles before I did. So I have all of my handles are Amelia M. Cotter oh my gosh, how did I miss the M? I see man, like I'm looking at the email. It's like, it's no, right there. It's, it's right there. It's fine because I mean, like people have like PayPal Amelia Cotter, and like luckily, whoever she is, she's never accepted any money or like said f you or anything or you know she whoever she is out there, she's always been very polite. Um, but yeah, so Amelia M Cotter, but Amelia thank you, Amelia M Cotter, thank you for correcting me. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, now it's, I feel so embarrassed that I missed that. Right and I'm definitely, I'm desperate for YouTube subscribers. I am not going to, uh, you know, be two ways about it. Like I only have 28 subscribers on my YouTube channel and it, uh, you know, keeps me awake at night. So I'd love to see more um, subscribers there. And I'm working on like a content concept so that I can start putting more stuff on YouTube. Yeah. I know everybody's always working on something with that, but I really, um, I do post some I do post I do like storytelling sessions online a few times a year and then I I put them on YouTube so yeah you and I were yeah. talking a little bit about that before before the show Ooh, as well. that's so big yeah it's so big <laughs> all right folks coming up I'm going to be joined by renowned tabletop game designer Corey Kanaska he's made games such as Twilight Imperium Star Wars Rebellion Star Wars Imperial Assault Battlestar Galactica Eldritch Horrors and dozens and dozens of others so that's going to be live January 26th the podcast will be available on the 27th also from the Heroes Feast cooking show chef Mike Harris is going to be joining us if you like that cookbook, like the story, like D&D, any of that kind of stuff, you're going to want to tune in for that. We're going to be joined by author Chris Schmitz and many more. So follow, subscribe, rate, review so you can keep up with us. Also, leave us a five-star rate and review. It does help us and helps our guests. So for Amelia Cotter, I am Nick, and I want to thank you all for listening to Epic Realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms. <laughs> <laughs>